So you're always round three. Whenever we do whatever they call them. So Monday I do Seminary Bays and then Seminary Aleph 2. And you get the third part of every story. Somebody's complaining that it's already in the past. But I did two parts yesterday on the Rebbe and the Rebbe since Chasene. And I am repeating again if anybody's interested. Send me an email and I will send you the entire, uh, the, the audio collection. I'm actually... Um, so now, I, in the, like I said, if anybody wants the whole story, send me an email, I'll send you all three parts. The, um, I talked, I gave the first group the background before the wedding. Yesterday, I, the second group, I talked about the wedding itself. And there's a few things that I want to talk to you about that I didn't talk about to them. First of all, the, the, the guests that came to the Rebbe's Chasana, some of them were very important people. And there's some stories, there's some, not a lot, but there are some stories that are known um, about the Rebbe's Chasana that I think are worth repeating because I think they have uh, ripples in one way or another. Number one, as far as I know, the Gere Rebbe did not go to the Rebbe's Chasana. The Gere Rebbe lived in Vashon, did not attend the Rebbe's Chasana. But he sent um, his brother and I think some of his children to the wedding they would become the Gered Ebbis after the war. And uh, it's a funny story. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. The Gered Ebbis then and the Friedrich Ebbis didn't, didn't see eye to eye. There was, there, was, there, was, there was unpleasantness between them. But the children of the Gered Ebbis and our Ebbis were very close friends. They really were very close. And, um, and there's only two ways of explaining why it is that the children of the Gere Rebbe didn't get so along with the Fidi Rebbe, got so along with the Rebbe, there's two answers. Number one, that the Rebbe was a kid, a 14-year-old. Their uncle, the Meshav Betal Alter, was in Yekaterinoslav, and he tested the Rebbe as a 14-year-old, and he told Rebbe Leivik, Sefortzen Yue, 14 years old, Ba'inzen Poilin and Dosnishtu, to be 14 and to know as much as the Rebbe knows. He met the Rebbe as a boy, and he never forgot it. Uh, or oh, on the second explanation for why there was such a kid of all of us in the Rebbe and the Gere Rebbe is because they met the Rebbe at the Chassaneh. So I'm just mentioning it because I, I think this is significant. Um, there were other famous personalities, the Rebbe, some great, the Rebbe came to the Chassaneh, but amongst the people to the Rebbe's wedding was the Mayor Shapiro. Um, if you were not a Lubavitcher, you would know that name well, but part of our brainwashing is what we don't know. The Mayor Shapiro was a very important Jew in the pre-war world. He was the Rav of Lublin, he was a godel. He passed away at 47. He passed away at 47. He was a god oil of incredible genius of Taita. One of the tragedies of Major Pierre's life, besides that he passed away so young, is that he never had any children. He sat in the Polish parliament on behalf of Agudas Yisrael. He was a brilliant order, great speaker, had incredible presence. And the Rebbe, our Rebbe said about the Major Shapiro, Ichabem Gekent, I knew him. When that is given, God, God, The Rebbe doesn't use these words lightly. The Rebbe said, "I knew him, and he was a very, very achsidishiyid. He wasn't a lebavit; he was a poydisha. He was a chartke bechosid, which is Ruzhin. And again, if you understand demographics, this is really a Russian chasidus, which explains why they would have more in common with us. Um, but the Rebbe referred to him as a God, God, achsidishiyid. He was by the Rebbe's wedding. Once in a fabreng, and the Rebbe quoted his sefer, Shas Chuvas Era Meir. And the Rebbe laughed. He quoted the Sefer by name. And he laughed. It was on the Shechesh, on the mid of Kapkiyas. 
Don't suspect me of being a big bookie, of knowing everything. And everyone, no one's choshish to have a big bookie. The Rebbe is notorious. The Rebbe is famous for the bookie. The biggest misnagdim knew that if the Rebbe doesn't have a source, the source doesn't exist. But the Rebbe said with a chuckle, he came to my wedding, and this is the wedding gift that he gave me. So Mel, I learned it through. So the Rebbe quoted in a Rashi sicher, it's on the tape. It was in Lamentes. The Rebbe quoted him Eremir. So the story goes that the Meir Shapiro, he, he, his contribution to the Jewish world are famous. He made the Dafayoimi. It was his contribution. Yeah, of course. Um, the Rebbe said once he surprised how embraced it was by the Misnagdim because it was made by the Meir Shapiro. That was the context. That's when the Rebbe said it. And he made Yeshiva's Chachm in Lublin. He made the Yeshiva in Lublin where to get into the Yeshiva you had to know by heart 300 lot Gemara was a very high level of learning. And it was a Chassidish Yeshiva where there was a lot of emphasis on Taita. It was his brainchild. Unfortunately, he passed away. He, he went to America. He raised money to build the building. The building was put up probably in 1929. He passed away in 1933. His end is very tragic. He got sick and he died. It's really strange. He was a Chartki of a Chassid. And he had a Chartki of a Rebbe. The Chartki of a Rebbe put him in his place. He was a God. Lameshwa was an extraordinary man. And the Rebbe knew him. He was at the Rebbe's wedding. So the Friedrich Rebbe sat him down next to the Rebbe. At the Chassanah. I don't know at what point, but he put him next to the Rebbe. Now, the Rebbe, the Rebbe wore his hat down, you understand, and he wore white gloves. I don't know if it's true, but I heard that by the wedding he was wearing gloves. And people said that every reason that ever wore gloves, he didn't want to shake people's hand in case the hands were not clean, brushing. The Rebbe used to shake people's hands with a glove, always. He didn't take his glove off. He would shake your hand with the glove. In America, when you shake someone's hand, you take your glove off. The Rebbe wore thin white silk gloves. And he would shake people's hands with the gloves on. The Rebbe didn't want to touch people. The Rebbe's not in it, it's Adik. No, Yechidus Bechlal, the Rebbe didn't shake his I'm talking before the Rebbe was Rebbe. After the oh. Rebbe was Rebbe, the Rebbe didn't wear gloves. Um, and he looked like a, like a French gentleman, you know. He was wearing a kapota fashtetzich. But everybody knew about the Goyim. Everyone heard that this young man is a Ilu Sheinkomeo. So the Meir Shapiro sits down next to the Rebbe and he starts to talk to him and the Rebbe's not saying a word. He's talking and he's talking and the Rebbe's listening. So at a certain point, he leaned over, like over the Rebbe, and he said to the Friedrich Rebbe, who was sitting on the other side of the Rebbe, Ezukguinish, he doesn't say a word. So the Friedrich Rebbe turned to the Rebbe and he said, Zog, speak. They talked for 45 minutes. At the end of the conversation, the Meir Shapiro says to the Friedrich Rebbe, Lubavitch Rebbe, Lubavitch Rebbe, you took a son alone, a Goanoilam, a world class God, he was overwhelmed. Another story which is quite famous is a story with Rabbi Nachem Zembe. It's a story that spans 60 years. I'm sure you've heard the story that Rabbi Nachem Zembe was a big Gerachosid. He came to the Chassaneh and he took along a nephew. His name was Greenwald. And the next day he went in to speak to the Rebbe in learning and the Rebbe turned to the nephew and he told him with the Dvar Tere about Chanekelech. Do you know that story? You know the story with the Chanekelech that happened by the Chassaneh? Why the fifth Lichtele you make such a big deal out of it? That, happened, that famous story happened by the, it started by the Chassanet, whether you're in Varsha or you're in London, and then you're in New York or in London, Toronto, and there's a story that it would play itself out 50 years later about the Koyach of the fifth Alichtele. That story happened by the Rebbe's Chassanet. The Menachem Zeb was also at the Rebbe's wedding. And there were other G'dayli who came to the Chassanet. This guy Grivald was about 14. He was in Yosem, he had no parents. 
So Menachem Zemba was his uncle. So he became Menachem Zemba Shamish. That's the story. So the Menachem Zemba, Menachem was a Gorn Oilam, was a great Gorn Oilam, was a Gera Chosit, was invited to the Rebbe's Chasana. He came to the Chasana. He talked to the Rebbe a little bit by the wedding, but there was no time. So he said to the Rebbe, Can I come tomorrow to the hotel? We can schmooze a little. And he said, But of course. So he came the next day, took along his nephew. And the Rebbe and him talked and learned. The nephew had no idea what they were talking about. It was like way over his head. And after the conversation was finished, he tells the Rebbe, this is my nephew, his name is Grinwald, he probably tells him his first name as well, and uh, he's, my, he's helping me and so forth. And the Rebbe greeted him very warmly, and then the Rebbe told him that there's a mini Yisrael, whatever two Jews meet, you have to say Dvarteire. So the Rebbe told him Dvarteire, what was the Dvarteire? Why do we make a very big deal out of the fifth Lichtele? We make a very big deal of the fifth night of Hanukkah. And the answer is, because the fifth night of Hanukkah can never be Shabbos. Because it shows them the greatest darkness. And the message of the fifth Lichtele is that even a person who finds himself in the greatest darkness, the Koyach of the Hanukkah can schlep a person out of darkness and bring him to a place of light. And then the Rebbe said, whether he lives in Varsha or he lives in London, the Hanukkah can have this effect on the person. That's the story. This Greenwald grew up, got married, had several children, and then the war came. Rabbi Nachem Zemba, by the way, was killed in the Varsheva Ghetto. Rabbi Nachem Zemba himself was murdered in the Varsheva Ghetto. This guy, Greenwald, he lost his wife and his kids in the war, but he survived. He came to America, and it was around 48, 47, 48, he was getting married again. He was close to the Kleisenberg Rebbe, close to Satman, close to Kleisenberg. And he, people advised him that before his chasen, they should go into the Friedrich of Abrach. So at this point, if he was 14 in 1929, now you're talking, uh, he, was, he was in his early 30s, he was not a boy. He went into the Friedrich Rebbe, he was a survivor, you understand yourself how warmly the Friedrich Rebbe greeted him, and then he gave him a bracha, and then he mentioned to the Friedrich Rebbe that he was by the Chasne in Varsha. So the Rebbe says, my name is Dom, my son-in-law is here, it's a good idea, you should go downstairs and tell him hello. So he goes downstairs, he goes into the Rebbe, as soon as the Rebbe sees him, the Rebbe says to him, 20 years pass, it's time that we should see each other again. <laughs> he couldn't believe the Rebbe recognized him. And then they schmoozed in ahead, and then as he's about to leave, the Rebbe says, well, do you meet him? And the Rebbe repeats the same Vartayda again. Why do you make such a big deal out of the fifth of Lichtale? And the answer is because the fifth day of Hanukkah cannot be on Shabbos, which goes in the greatest darkness, and the Koyach of the fifth of Lichtale, they can schlep a Jew out of the greatest darkness, bring him back to the Ebishter. And the Rebbe said, whether he lives in New York, or in London, the Koyach of the Chanukah He was Mishtoimim. It was very strange to him, this whole thing. Try. 20 years passed. Now it's 1969. His son is getting married. He's living in Toronto and he's a member of the Satma community. And it was already after the Six Day War. Satma didn't hate us completely, but they hated us enough. He decides to come to New York and get a brach for the Rebbe. So he comes to 770, he wants to go in right away. The mosquito tell him, you're crazy, you didn't make an appointment. He says, listen, I know that I was by the Rebbe's wedding. By my chas, Rebbe gave me a bracha, I want a bracha for my son. So they said to him, you can go into the Rebbe on one condition. You get your bracha, you walk out, no questions, no requests, just a bracha. Fine. They walk into the Rebbe, as soon as the Rebbe sees him, the Rebbe says to him, no, 20 years pass. It's time to meet each other again. And again, he can't believe that the Rebbe recognizes him. And the Rebbe gives him a very warm brach. And then he tells the Rebbe, I was told by the maskirim that I'm not allowed to say anything. Can I ask the Rebbe a question? So the Rebbe says, The Rebbe de Shver hat dich geschickt zu mir. The Friedrich Rebbe sent you to me. I have to answer all your questions. 
He says, listen, this question doesn't really bother me. But I live in a Sat Mekil in Toronto. And they're very bothered by this whole thing. And Lubavitch, we're Makar of the Fraya Yidin. Also, this tackle B'fnei Rosha. You now look at the face of a Rosha. So the Rebbe gets excited. The Rebbe gets emotional. And he says to him in Yiddish, if your neighbor, the Kanoi, your neighbor, the Zealot, so the Rebbe knew that it was his neighbor who was complaining to him, would have one of his children going off the derech, would he say that you're not allowed to look into the face of a Rosha? Or would he say, do not ignore, neglect your own flesh? And the Rebbe said, by the fear of the Rebbe, every Jew was his own flesh and blood. And so the Rebbe answered him. Then the Rebbe says, when two Yidin meet, it's a And the Rebbe says to him for the third time, why do we make such a big deal out of the fifth Alechtele? And the answer is because the fifth Alechtele of Hanukkah can never be on Shabbos. And it's a hint of the greatest darkness. And that the Koyach of the Hanukkah Licht can take a Yid and bring his deepest darkness and bring back to Mebishtim. And this time the Rebbe said whether you live in Toronto or in London. And he leaves. Ten years pass. Which means you're talking now 50 years since the Rebbe's wedding. He's going to London for a chasaneh. And his neighbor, who is always complaining to Lubavitcher Bakaya Fraya, pulls him aside and says, listen, I have a very uncomfortable request. I'm embarrassed, but I have to do this. I have a daughter living in London with a goy. And she's about to marry him. I know you have connections to Lubavitch. If you can help me find my daughter, I don't know where she is. And when he goes to London, and he tracks on the Rebbe had a shliach. He was a shliach to the whole of Europe. Oh, what was his name? He was a Scottish fellow. He was a businessman. He was a very interesting kid. He didn't have a place to shlichus. He just did the Rebbe's things all over Europe. He was a rich man. He traveled a lot. The Rebbe sent him all these private shlichus. I forgot his name. He was a big chevra man. Anyway, he found this guy. And he said to him the story that I'm looking for a girl. I don't even know where she is. He says, okay, I'll see what I can do. And he started to make inquiries. I don't know how you look for a Jewish girl in London living with a guy. This guy stayed in London for a couple of weeks. He gets a phone call from him one night. He says, come to my house now. So he comes to this kid's house and the girl is sitting on the couch, very emotional. He tracked her down and he encouraged her to go back to her family. And there's five candles burning on the menorah. That's the story. Now wait, I forgot to tell you something important. When he went into the Rebbe in 1969, the Rebbe gave him a brocha that he should be by the chasana of his son's son, of his grandson. To give a survivor such a brocha, that should be by the chasana of an enikel. Anyway, he came to dollars when his grandson was getting married and he somehow managed to tell the Rebbe the story in a few minutes, in a few seconds, and the Rebbe said to him, the Rebbe de Shved, Yahat Avait and Kuk. The feeling the Rebbe could see far into the future. He passed away right after Sheva Berchus of his first enikel. The Rebbe promised him. That's the story, and I choose to believe it. But anyway, this is the beginning of the story was that Menachem Zembe, Reb Menachem Zembe was a big gone, was invited to the Rebbe's chasana. Now, what I want to talk to you about, and I'm sorry I'm left with so little time, because we talked about other things, including a very little abuse. I'm sorry. It's an incredible story, but it's a Hanukkah story. It's not a Rebbe chasana story. Um, now, on Hanukkah, I'm not going to have what to tell you. Um, is this. I want to share with you. So when the Rebbe got married, okay, they got married on a Tuesday night. I believe that before Shabbos, they went back to Riga. In other words, they didn't make all the Shabbat brachas in Poland. They made several Shabbat brachas in Varsha. Then the Friedrich of the whole family went back to Riga. The end of the Shabbat brachas, the Shabbos of Shabbat brachas was again in Riga. The plan was that the Rebbe would stay in Riga, but the Latvian government would not have it. 
So by Shvat or Ode, the Rebbe and the Rebbe were first to move back to Berlin. And of course, I mean, you know the story, you've heard it a thousand times. From that moment on, the Rebbe lived, together with her husband, in a godforsaken country, all by herself, in a studio apartment. I mean, people walked into the Rebbe and the Rebbe's apartment, they didn't have a bedroom. For, for 12 years, they lived in a... a the Rebbe was, was supporting them. When the Rebbe was in school and the Rebbe was in school, the Fiedeke was supporting them. They said they lived on a shoestring budget. They lived on very, very little bit of money. And uh, the... Yeah. Um, apparently. And they lived very, very simply for all those years, separated from Hasidim, away from the Rebbe, until, of course, the Rebbe would move to New York in Tov Shinalaf in 1941. And that's a story unto itself. We'll talk about that at a different time. The story that I was... So, so, so they stayed at Ashtik al there's a... There were things that happened in the weeks, days and weeks after the Rebbe, Lamashal, um, the Rebbe in his Rishimis, in his own journal, copies over, word for word, the Yuman that somebody wrote of his wedding. One of the Hasidim, Shmuel Zalmanov, wrote a, a summary of what happened by the Rebbe's Hasaneh. Our Rebbe took his page and copied into his own journal, word for word, and then they printed it. You can see how the Rebbe... You know, the Rebbe is copying what someone described by his own chasaneh because it was describing the Friyadike Rebbe and the Rebbe copied it verbatim into his journal and now they printed it. Also, Hey Tavis, the first entry of the Rebbe's journal is Hey Tavis. Tafresh Peites and it says, The Friyadike Rebbe called me into his room and he gave me regards to my brother <laughs> from Label because he had a dream in which they saw the Rebbe Rashab and Label against him. I said, the part of the story that I want to repeat, I told it to the girls in the other room already, is that the Friedrich Rebbe had not worn a shtraim from the day he became a Rebbe. Because there was a hirof of the Rebbe Maharash that a shtraim you wear only in Lubavitch. The first time the Friedrich Rebbe put on a shtraim as a Rebbe ever was by our Rebbe's chasana. And three weeks later, his father came to him in a dream, the Rebbe Rashab, and he said to him, I'm dying Hitl. He approved. Thank you for putting on Farin Hitl. Thank you for putting on that. Adang Fanhitl. It's in the Nishim. It's printed. Thank you for putting on the Shtraimel. And of course, from that point forward, the Fiedek Rebbe wore Shtraimel, Shabbos and Yom Tov also. Um, but the story that I want to tell you about is the story of the Rebbe's parents. The Rebbe's parents, I, I mean, you don't need me to tell you that the Rebbe's parents love the Rebbe and the Rebbe's very much. Um, it was heartbreaking to them that they were not able to participate in the wedding. They, they kept on delaying the wedding. The Rebbe was already out of Russia 14 months by the time he got married. The wedding was delayed a lot for three different reasons, which I explained to the girls in the other room. There was no money to make a wedding. They were hoping that Rebbe's parents would be able to attend. And there was also some, some differences of opinion about the wedding. But uh, the Rebbe's parents tried very hard to get a visa from the Russian government, just an exit visa, just a visit for, to go for a visit and come back to participate in the chasna of the Rebbe and the Rebbetsen and the Tsarist government, the, 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 the uh, Soviet government, the communist government, were not given permission. So what did the Rebbe's parents do? They made a wedding without a chasakala. If you know the history, when they moved to Ekaterinoslav, they took a very, very large apartment, a gigantic apartment, many rooms. The Rebbe Tzachana said that she wanted every one of her boys to have her own room, his own room, so they could do their own thing undisturbed. When the Soviets took over, they cut their apartment in half and they made it to two families. So the larger apartment became a small apartment. The people who lived in the other half of the apartment, Poshet Goyim, but they respected them, they liked them. So when they heard that they're planning to make an event for the Chasaneh, they moved out of the apartment, they took down the wall, 
and they gave the Rebbe's parents access to their original apartment where the Rebbe's bar mitzvah took place. It was a very large apartment. And they, I think they invited 300 guests to the house, to their apartment. And they made a wedding without a chasen kala. They had a feast. Rebbe Chol, Chol, maybe Chol Dvarkin was at the chasen, he played the fiddle. And Zalman, there was a chasen by the name of Rabbi Zalman Velenkin. I don't know if you've ever heard of Zalman Velenkin. Rabbi Zalman Velenkin was the Rebbe's malamid. He was Rebbe's teacher as a child. And he stood up on the table and he danced and he sang and said, I had this chus to be the malamid of the son-in-law of the Rebbe. And of course, later on, he had this chus to be the malamid of the Rebbe himself. Rabbi Zalman Velenkin was in Yekatinoslav. It was called the Rebbe Petrovsk when the Rebbe's parents made this chasana and he participated in the chasana with great simcha. And again, I believe, I believe <coughs> the Mechol Dvarkin was there also and he played on the violin with a fiddle. And the Imamish made a chasana, it was a big celebration. The next day, the Rebbe and the Rebbe's, the Rebbe's parents, the Rebbe Sechana and the Rebbe Levik, made a party for the children. They brought in all the kids. There's an old, old Russian man who tells the story of that afternoon. They invited all the children and they gave them all candies and sweets. And the Rebbe Levik and the Rebbe Sechana together fabrained with the children in participation as a part of the solidarity of Mizok for the Rebbe and the Rebbe Sechana, which took place hundreds of miles away. And he tells a very, very interesting story. It's such an interesting story. I don't know how many kids were there, but there weren't 500 kids. Two dozen kids. How many children were there that were going to sit in the house of Erov in 1929 in Soviet Russia? They said to the kid, it was dangerous to be anywhere. Huh? This old man was one of those children. He was there. They said to the children that every child has a talent. There's no such thing as a child without a talent. One can draw, one can sing, one can play, one can dance. And every one of the children should display their talent. It's such an interesting piece of chinuch. That Rebbe's parents, every child should say what he's special at and he should get a chance to do that thing. And the Rebbe said, who can sing? This old man says that the Rebbe Tzanchana was so musical. I mean, he was a child, so I don't know what kind of avana he had, but the Rebbe Tzanchana was so musical, it was like her whole body was music. And uh, who could sing? And no, everyone was very shy. He says, I'll sing. And he got up and he sang a song. And 60 years later, literally 60 years later, or even maybe 70 years later, he was a very, very old man and he told the story. He calls them Levik, not Levik, Levik, he was a kid in Yekaterinoslav. He, he, he participated in the fabrenge that the Rebbe's parents made for the Rebbe's chasana. And then there are the letters. The letters that Rebbe Levik wrote to the Rebbe surrounding the chasana are unbelievably poignant. On the one hand, you see how serious this is. Rebbe Levik understood that this is the future of the world. Rebbe Levik, Rebbe Levik knew that the Rebbe is a Rebbe. The Levik knew as a child that the Rebbe is going to be a Rebbe. And the Levik understood that this shidduch, this marriage is nishtam azoi. This is a marriage that's going to be, you know, like the Rebbe says, binyin adeyat. The effects of this marriage are safe. The Levik understood how important the Rebbe's chasana was because of who the Rebbe was. The Levik had a good idea of who his son was and who his son was destined to be. And you feel that in those letters. He talks about his holy grandparents, the Tzemach Tzedek, and the Koiches that come from the Elikazedis, and so on and so forth. And you see that aspect of it. Um, and he gives the brachas. Rebbe Tzachana said, that Rebbe Levik wrote a telegram of 105 words. That's a big telegram. It begins with the word, or He later sent the Rebbe the original. So in the Rebbe's 
collection of letters, you have that telegram in the Ksaviyat Kedush of Rablavik. But he sent it to him a telegram that he should arrive on the day of the Chassanah. And the Rebbe Tanchana said that when her husband finished writing that telegram, 105 words, the table was covered with tears. He mamish, he, the, the kiss, his neshama came out. And the Rebbe Levi wrote his telegram to the Rebbe. The Rebbe obviously got the telegram in transliteration into Poland, but later on the Rebbe Levi sent to the original. On the other hand, you see love. It's amazing. The Belevik's love is so gush, gushing. It's so mushy. It's like a bobe. My father doesn't speak the way the Belevik spoke. And I don't speak that way. The love that he displays in this letter, the amount of ahava that he shows to the Rebbe and the Rebbe is this emotional love, fatherly love, paternal love, maternal love. It's, it's very, very human. It's remarkably human. And he just showers them with brachas. He showers them with brachas. And he gives the Rebbe certain instructions. He says, I wish if I would be at the wedding, I would give you the gatl that I have from the Tzamech Tzedek, you should to wear to the chuppah. Later on, the Rebbe got that gatl that Rebbe Zechana took with her from Russia, and so forth. And he also gives him a ros, how we should behave the day of the wedding. He says to him that from the day of Yechasana, you should wear a gatl and a hat. Anytime you say, Berchas HaShachar, and Yitavin, or your bench. And by the way, not all of the heroes that Rebbe Levi gave the Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe had the same in Hagen. And Bepashtas, when the Rebbe had a conflict in the minute that his father told him, and the minyan that he got from the Rebbe Deshver, the pastor, he did like the Friyadik Rebbe, although we can't know 100%. He told him, Fushid and how we should behave before the chasana, the day of the chasana, after the chasana. And of course, amongst the things that he sent the Rebbe, um, never, never saw him again. Never saw him again. Um, he sent him a sum of money, or he told him to borrow money that he would pay it, a certain amount of money, a lot of money, and to buy for the Rebbe in Chayamushka a piece of jewelry that's beautiful. But he uses words that denote that he was sensitive to how beautiful a piece of jewelry has to be for a girl, for a woman. And then he finishes by saying, you know, Fanitzen does gesund and hate, use it well and enjoy it. So warm, so human, so paternal. And you see this in the Rebbe's father's letters, a lot of love, a lot of warmth. And of course, this continues throughout. Over the next decade, they would correspond. And every year for the Rebbe's wedding anniversary, the Rebbe's father would write them a beautiful letter. So the letter, no, 90% of it is Kabbalah, code, but the beginning and the end is human. He's writing to the two of them, very warm brachas. And Rebbe Levik, keeps on blessing them for children. The, for children. The Friedrich Rebbe, in the first year or two, gives them brachas for children, and then he stops. Rebbe Levik is blessing them that they should have children. I mean, Rebbe Levik knew, apparently, that they were not going to have children. But in all of the letters, he's giving them brachas for children. There's always a letter for Yidal of Nissen, there's always a letter for Yidal of Kislev, you know, the Rebbe's father's letters that he wrote to the Rebbe that are very uh, very warm, very special. Um, there's a letter from Rebbe to the Rebbe to Chaim Mushka, where he writes to her, I'm asking you to write me and keep me informed of how you're doing. Don't look at me as a, a, a removed father-in-law, but as a loving father. Please write to me like a daughter, Keep no secrets from me. Don't be embarrassed. Tell me exactly what's in your heart. The Rebbe's father writes to the Rebbetzin that she should write on, honestly to them, as a, to the two of them. There's actually one letter that they found. I don't know how. They found the letter that the Rebbe Chaim Mushka wrote to the Rebbe Chana, and they published it in 1938, 10 years after the wedding, where the Rebbe Chaim Mushka writes to her shviger, to her mother-in-law, that the Rebbe finished school, and he applied for French citizenship, 
and they're thinking to take an apartment with a bedroom. The first days, for 10 years, they lived in a studio apartment. Now they actually take an apartment with a bedroom. So they gift, the wedding gift that they got by their chasana, they never had. The dishes, the, the china, the dishes that were given as wedding gifts, they had no place to keep it. So they were with the family in Poland, and when the Rebbe took an apartment with a bedroom, because he was paying his own rent, he took a job apparently, so they sent them their wedding gifts. They should have the dishes. And for 10 years, they didn't have access to them. So she writes to her mother-in-law, my sister already took an apartment, Changel, they lived in Paris together. But I have a very hard time making up my mind, I want to find a certain apartment, there has to be a certain... She, she describes what she needed to be satisfied with the apartment. She's having a very difficult time. The Rebbe Sochayim Moshka sort of suggests that she's a little bit indecisive about how she wants everything to be perfect. It's a letter she wrote to the Rebbe's mother, which is now available. I mean, if I know about it, it's not a secret, because I don't have access to secret stacks. But there's a story that I need to tell you. And this story, I think, is compelling. I, I know it's compelling. It's powerful. I am telling you about a letter which has to be the fourth letter in a sequence. But the first three letters we don't have. You can only deduce from this fourth letter what the first three letters were about. Okay, understand. The Rebbe and the Rebbeson got married in November, right? In Kislev, November, beginning of December, right? whatever time it was, right? Yeah? In Oder, which is how many months later? Tevis, Shvat, Oder. Three, four months later, you already have the fourth letter in a sequence. Which means that in the course of four months, three letters had been sent, and we don't have those three letters. We have only the fourth letter. But for the fourth letter, here's what you deduce. The Rebbe Zechariah Mushka married the Rebbe, right? And what did he discover? That he's not just a genius, he's also a tzaddik. Right? He was very, very intelligent, she knew that. The Rebbe never ate. The Rebbe fasted every single day till Mincha. The Rebbe fasted every single day till Mincha, which means he didn't eat or drink till Mincha. Every single day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the Rebbe fasted half a day, every single day, till Mincha. Now the Rebetzin always felt, like her mother had felt before her, that she has to look after her husband. Now, what does a woman do, amongst other things? She takes care of her husband. And she says to her husband, excuse me, mister, we're husband and wife, you got to eat in the morning. And I'm sure the Rebbe didn't tell her no, but the Rebbe in his very, very, very gentlemanly way said, it's not happening, you know. The Rebbe doesn't have to say things stubbornly to be stubborn. She figured out quite early that her husband doesn't eat. <laughs> her husband doesn't sleep. A few other delectable things about her husband. I would imagine she understood she wasn't marrying a boy off the street. But nevertheless, the Rebetzin marries the Rebbe and she finds out that his precious is not normal. The degree of his holiness, his hanhogis was so oizgerechet, the way he ate, the way he slept, the way he interacted, like a big tzadik. I, mean, I have to tell you, the Rebbe was a big tzadik. And it's not like the Rebetzin, Chayim Moshki didn't know how that looks. Her father was a big tzadik, her grandfather was a tzadik, but now she's married to one. So she wrote to Rebbe Levick a letter complaining. She wrote to the Rebbe's father complaining that the Rebbe doesn't eat. Now, we don't have that letter, but I can only imagine that what she wrote is, I'm his husband, I'm his wife. It's my responsibility. I have to look after his health. And Erasnisht. So Rebbe Levick, and this, I, I connected to that other letter where he wrote to the Rebbe Zechai Mushka that she shouldn't write like a daughter-in-law, she should write like a loving daughter. She told the Rebbe's father the truth. So Rablevik writes a letter to the Rebbe, which we also don't have, or at least it's not been published. I got a letter from your wife, that every day you fast till Mincha. 
I don't know where you got this from, you got to stop. So there's a third letter that Rebbe writes back to his father. Now again, I'm deducing. You know what deducing means? I'm deciding what it means based on the letter that we have. The Rebbe said to his father, she had no right to tell you. She's my wife, she has to protect my privacy, she had no right to tell you. And I want you to know there is the same exact story five generations before with a very, very scary component to it. The Rebbe Tzachayamushka and the Tzamech Tzedek had the same problem. <laughs> Where the Tzamech Tzedek said to her, you had no right to do this, I'm your husband, you have to respect me first. She says, but the Zaydad Gehesen, the Zayda said, the Altarab was your Zayda too. And he says, my honor had before him. The Rebbe wrote to his father, she had no right to tell you. So the, Rebbe writes, the Rebbe's father writes a fourth letter. This is the letter we have. I'm happy that she told me. And I told her that in the future, if you play such games, you should reform me. And the Rebbe writes, I never, the Rebbe's father writes him, I never heard such a hanhoga to fast every single day till Mincha. And in that letter it says, I believe you have not yet become as strong as Shimshon Agiber, you need to eat. They married three and a half months. They had already Shalom Bayes issues. You understand? They had probably had familial <laughs> Shalom Bayes issues. The Rebbe asked Nish, the Rebbe Shlof Nish. The Rebbe Zechayimushka had to get used to these things. And, you know, the, never, I, changed, never changed. The Rebbe should change. I mean, the Rebbe did what he wanted. The Rebbe did what he wanted. When the Rebbe got older, he changed. The Rebbe was elderly. The Rebbe, the Rebbe listened to his doctors. The Rebbe, Dr. Weiss says, even though we asked him for brain for an hour and for brain for four, but he listened to us. The Rebbe was a good, the Rebbe listened to the doctors, but this was when he was 77. When the Rebbe was young, the Rebbe Zechayim Mushka said, there's two things you have to know about my husband, and she was his wife. <coughs> Number one, you can never tell him to do things, you can only make a suggestion. Number two, you get one shot. So pick your moment, because once you make the suggestion, if you ask at the wrong time, you can't even suggest it again. Wait, so what this letter said? Huh? The letter, I told you what the letter said. That he wrote to him, no, you're wrong. I'm happy she told me. That's how I deduced that the Rebbe had written to her father that she had the right, to his father that she had right to tell him. I'm happy that she told me. And I hope in the future she'll tell me more when you do these kinds of things. This business of fasting a half a day every day, there's no such seder. I don't know where you took this from. And he writes, I believe you have not yet become a strong human being. The Rebbe's precious. The Rebbe's, I don't know if you understand what precious means. It's not stab frum. The Rebbe's removal from Gashmi's the holiness was on an extreme level. And the Rebbe Zechayim Mushka worried about him. The man didn't eat. The man didn't sleep. You know, when the Rebbe had his heart attack, he slept for four hours. And the Rebbe said, I'm married him 50 years. I never saw him sleep so much. Four hours! For some people, that's a Shabbos afternoon nap. Nochem <laughs> chont. I've never... A short nap, yeah. An interrupted nap. The Rebbe said, I never saw him. They're married 50 years. The Rebbe... And, and, and she had to take, she felt it was her job. When the Rebbe became a Rebbe, she told Chassidim, I will take care of the Rebbe, I will look after him. But, and the but I'll tell you a different time. Um, and the Rebbe discovered that the Rebbe's life is so beating up on himself. She worried about his health, Pashat. She pushed worried about his health. And the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said, I heard people describe their conversations, you know. The Rebbe would say something, and the Rebbe would answer. They, they never argued. But if the Rebbe wanted to listen, he listened. If he didn't want to listen, he didn't listen. And she understood that. You know, you don't argue with this man. You say it twice, not going to help. Say it a hundred times. If he's not doing it, he's not doing it. This is his wife. 
Um, anyway, but there's a, one more piece to this story. This, the rest of it, what I just told you, is very interesting. The rest of it is just the, sort of the end of the story. The Rebbe had, the Rebbe fasted a lot. But one of the things about the Rebbe was he didn't want anybody to know he's fasting. So there's two stories that are well known. One of them was, the story, I believe it happened to Rabbi Chadakov, who would later be the Rebbe's secretary. It happened in the early 30s. The Rebbe was visiting the Friedrich Rebbe in Riga, Latvia, where Rabbi Chadakov lived. And they were talking, Rabbi Chadakov fell in love with the Rebbe. People say Rabbi Chadakov was a chassid of this Rebbe before he was a chassid of the Friedrich Rebbe. He absolutely adored the Rebbe. He saw the Rebbe as a young man. They were about the same age. Rabbi Chadakov was a little bit older than the Rebbe. He said he saw the Rebbe say, Vigitan Lacha, and blew his mind. He knew that how big a gone the Rebbe is. The Rebbe is standing, holding a city, saying, Yitin Lacha, like a Pasha Tayyid. The way he saw the Rebbe say, Yitin Lacha, that's what took him. He was a chasr of the Rebbe in the early 30s yet. So it was after Maidiv, and he was talking to the Rebbe. Now, how is he supposed to know the Rebbe is fasting that day? The Rebbe fasted all the time. And of course, the Rebbe wasn't going to say, Excuse me, I haven't eaten anything. Can I go get a cup of tea? The Rebbe talked to him. He's talking and talking and talking and talking. And when the door opens to this Medrash, and Chadakov is watching this, and then Emerson appears in the doorway. And you know how the Shnerisons operate. They're very circumspect. They never tell you straight. They have to figure things. They're very, very respectable and respectful people. You have to, you have to speak nuance. If you don't understand nuance, you can't have a relationship with them. She doesn't say a word. She stands in the doorway. And the Rebbe knows why she's standing in the doorway. Anyway, she stands and she stands and she stands and she stands. And the Rebbe's talking and she's talking and she's talking. Chadakov doesn't know what the meaning of this is. After a long time, she goes away because that reinforcements. She's bringing back her sister and her mother. And the four of them are standing in the doorway. And they're standing and they're standing and Chadakov's talking to the Rebbe. The Rebbe, the Rebbe knows exactly what they want. And the Rebbe is upset that the Rebbe's not taking care of his health. The Rebbe said, Chamedina was a shvige. She walks over to the Rebbe, and she was deaf to start with. She, she always spoke very loud. Even when she talked regularly, she had a very high voice, because she didn't know how she sounded. And she starts shouting at the Rebbe, before the sheer fast. It's after Maidiv, go eat now. You fasted a whole day, now eat. <laughs> the only reason Chadakov knew the story is because the Rebbe said, Chamedina disclosed it. The Rebbe would not allow anybody to know he's fasting. There's a second story that happened many years later in Tafshin Zai, 1947. Reb Zalman Butman. Reb Zalman Butman. The Rebbe came to France to pick up his mother. He stayed in the house, or his mother stayed in the house of Reb Zalman Schneerson. Reb Zalman Schneerson was not here. Reb Zalman was in America. His brother, Reb Zalman Butman, hosted the Rebbe's mother. And it was a of some sort. And the Rebbe sat and he refused to eat. And they offered him water, they offered him tea, they offered him a fruit, they asked so Zalman Butman, without realizing with the significance of this, says to the Rebbe, you're fast, you're fasting. So the Rebbe's response was, says Nikir, you can see. That was the only concern, that you shouldn't be able to see that he's fast. You could see, the Rebbe was it's a known fact. The Rebbe fasted a lot. Younger hate zikr. And even as a Rebbe, the Rebbe was marbabatanesim, fasted an awful lot. And uh, they had this relationship, the Rebbe, the Rebbe's where the Rebbe took care of him, but she took care of him in his nusach. You know, she took care of him the way he allowed her to take care of him, which means she didn't stop the fasting and all the other hanogas, you know. Chaim Baruch Abbasha told me a story. Just finish a word. The Rebbe had a pair of shoes which he wore for like 18 years. You know that story with the shoes? The Rebbe wore the same pair of shoes until the beginning of Tav Shinnun. And we, the shoes were tatters. There was nothing left of the shoes. 
Um, and people said the reason the Rebbe is wearing torn shoes is because his feet hurt him. If he's going to put on new shoes, he's going to have to break them in. He's wearing torn shoes. Anyway, one day, Tav Shinnun, out of the blue, the Rebbe got new shoes. And the left shoe, the old one, the back was pressed down like a slipper. Also, they're wearing new shoes. I remember the new shoes. They all went to look at the shoes. And they was wearing, oh, his feet don't hurt. 17, 18 years, they were the same shoes. They found out later that it's a whole thing that the Rebbe Rashab said that defeating the communists has to do with the Rebbe the Sheikh. When the Rebbe put on the new shoes, it was about the same time that the communists... There's a story that goes back 70 or 80 years where the Rebbe Rashab said, I'm all coming a younger man, but it's the Sheikh, There's something mystical about these shoes. But the Rebbe wore the same pair of shoes for 18 years, and a very long time. So I heard different parts of the story from different people. One I heard from the Rebbe's nephew. Every time the Rebbe came from the oil, every time, he asked, the Zalba Sheikh, same shoes, you didn't take my shoes? They had to polish the shoes. There was nothing to polish. You polished shoe, the shoe came away. There was nothing left. So Chaim Baruch was close to the Rebbe, Chaim Mushkin. So he said to me, he told the Rebbe, that the Rebbe was wearing the same shoes forever. At that point, it was probably four years. It wasn't 18 years. So the Rebbe says, when the Rebbe goes to the oil, take the shoes to the shoemaker and ask him for a very, very soft piece of leather and put them on the inside. Don't put them on the outside. Put them on the inside so the shoes should stay together. So Chaim Baruch comes to 770 <laughs> and he's taking the shoes and Label says, where are you taking the shoes? And now Label was the one who got the brunt every single time. Label is Rabbi Groder. Every single time the Rebbe came from the oil, he has the Zalba Sheikh. So Chaim Baruch says, ah, the Rebbe said, so Leib Gorner says, I'm not getting involved with you and the Rebetzin, but I'm telling you, you're playing with fire. So he got hesitant. And he went back to the Rebetzin, and he told the Rebetzin what Rabbi Gorner said. And the Rebetzin said, it's a pity you didn't listen to me, but now you can't touch the shoes, and that's the way the shoes stay. She was his wife. This is the kind of yachas they had. This is the kind of relationship they had. Okay, I'll see you all on Thursday.